Hello and welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. This episode is episode 11 and we will feature Grant Biggs. He is a winemaker based in Kelowna in the Okanagan wine region. He works out of Kitch Wines and as is the time of the year, we started our conversation with talking about harvest. Let's get right into it. How's harvest going so far? Uh, good. It started off nice and quick. We got the um, Blanc de Blanc pulled off early in September and then did a nice pick for Rosé and now it's just been hang time for the last couple weeks almost. So going to crack back into it next week, but it, it rained yesterday pretty hard. It's going to rain this afternoon. It's going to rain tomorrow. And then, yeah, I think Sunday's supposed to be okay in the late part of the afternoon then Monday's supposed to be nice and then into the mid 20s next week so we'll get everything pulled off then I was down in the uh, the neighbors below us I went and introduced myself to them just because along our bottom fence line they, they've got some bushes growing up the fence line and I just asked if I could go in and take them out for them so that that frost any any of that cold air just moves down into that lower subdivision and I had, I had some replants down in the reason last year just due to some frost. So kind of take care of that problem before it becomes a problem. The first thing I wanted to actually ask you was kind of how you got into winemaking and, and how how that became your passion, you know what I mean? I think it started before I even know that it, or knew that it was starting. And, and that came from, you know, a, a pretty early age. My, my grandfather's Italian, my grandmother's French. Food and wine was always around at the dinner table. Um, my grandfather would order grapes up from California as a Fidel and Muscat. He'd crush fruit and then make wine in his basement, and then it was readily available at birthdays and holidays and any celebrations that may come up. And grandma's cooking always went along with that. So I, from an early age, I, I had a pretty positive association uh, with wine. Um, it was it was just it was always around uh, the dinner table, and it was just a, a part of life. I I was born in June and I, I was told that, uh, you know, for Christmas that year, uh, the kids get their little thimble of baby duck and and then uh, um, from there, I I don't know, I just, uh, when you're in high school and you're, you're asked, you know, what do you want to do with your life, wine's never really an option. It's always, you know, like, oh, I, I, I wanted to get into chiropractics or physiotherapy, so I ended up going to school for kinesiology out of high school, and 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 very quickly realized that that wasn't for me. I didn't I didn't enjoy going straight from high school straight into university and and hitting the books again. So I, I didn't last long. I made it I made it my through my first year and uh, dropped out after that and uh, started working in restaurants and and from there um, it kind of took off. I. Uh, my first restaurant job was at like a Boston pizza um, and serving and, and then I made enough money to go traveling and found myself in Australia and I lied on my resume and said that I was managing bars in Canada and that I had all this experience that I just didn't have knowing that they weren't going to call Canada to check on my references and I got a position to manage the opening of this uh, brand new rooftop three-phase bar uh, in Manly Beach just outside of Sydney so I, I managed the opening of three brand new bars when I was 21 years old and 
um, this like really boutique hotel. I don't know how that happened, but when I got back, I just started working in better restaurants and working with better chefs and better better wine lists. And I was in Victoria, and I did my served my Psalm diploma while I was working there uh, through the International Sommelier Guild. And uh, on the first day of the diploma, I don't, I didn't necessarily remember saying this, but we went around the classroom. Uh, DJ Kearney was my teacher, and she's like, you know, why, why are you getting into this? What do you want to do with it? I had said that I didn't even care about the diploma. I just wanted to grow grapes and make wine. And uh, she, she reminded me of that when I, when I tasted with her, with our first vintage that I ended up making. The, the BC wine industry is, is strong and, and has been framed into what it is, I think, because of people like her and, and all the rest in her field that are, are big um, proponents of pushing BC wine into, into the global market and uh, into the hands of wine writers and critics from around the globe. She, she, has, she has some good clout in that, uh, in that area and she always like, seems to be banging that drum pretty hard for BC wine and as, as do a lot of people in, that, in those writing roles and in those promotion roles. Got my diploma in 2009, uh, helped open a couple restaurants and liquor stores in Victoria. Uh, and then in early 2010, I just I kind of sold all my stuff and told my friends and family I was moving to Kelowna to make wine. I didn't know anybody here. Didn't even had no idea what I was getting myself into, but uh, moved out here. And then a year of chemistry just at the university. And then I started the UC Davis program out of California mm-hmm. via distance ed for enology. And then my first vintage, I was 29 years old. I was, uh, went to go work at Mount Boucherie with Jim Faulkner. Uh, his wife and I did the diploma together, so I had a nice in there. Yeah, there was three of us to do 425 tons of fruit, and I kind of just it was, I fell in love with it right away. Just like the long hours, the the fermentation, and and everything else uh, that went along with it. I just I, I really enjoyed how much planning there was to go into it. It was like a lot like kind of like working in a restaurant where you have you know your tanks all over the place like just like you'd have your tables all over the place and every tank is at a different stage of fermentation just like every table would be at a different stage of dining and I felt like I was able to draw a lot of I'd say confidence uh, in in remembering where things were at just just like I would with my tables yeah the assistant winemaker that was at Mount Boucher at the time he got a job in Oregon and he ended up leaving after harvest and Jim was like, well, I need an assistant winemaker. And he's like, it can't be you because you just don't have the experience. And I, <clears throat> I had said, you know, give me two weeks to, to prove to you that I can do his job. Uh, and at the end of the two weeks, if you're satisfied, you don't need to give me the title. You don't need to pay me for it, but you can let me do his role. And at the end of the two weeks, it looked really good on his budget. And he was confident that I could execute anything that he wanted done. So, yeah, I, I, I saw all those 2012 aromatic whites into bottle and <clears throat> my 30th birthday <clears throat> sorry is in is in june it was coming close it was like right around my 30th birthday and i had i had proposed uh to them that you know ways of selling some wine and the owners at the time thought i would they they came back at me because i had asked for a bit of a raise they came back and they're like you're just a kid you don't know what you're talking about and so i was like well i'm the ship sinking I'm out of here so I ended up 
uh, giving my notice on the morning of my 30th birthday and then that afternoon when I was always leaving work David Pattison from Tantalus called me and he, he's like I heard you're looking for a harvest position and I hadn't told anybody but I guess the tasting manager at Boucherie called the GM at Tantalus and I had met Dave a couple times and tasted through his barrels. Got the invite to work with him in 2013, which was massive. I think anybody who gets a chance to spend time in the Tantalus cellar, inside David Patterson, you're gonna you're gonna come out looking really good. There was a, there was a gentleman from New Zealand who was uh, doing harvest with us that year, and he's like, "Oh, you got to go to New Zealand in the spring." He set me up with his friend who was making wine in central Otago at a place called Binpro. It's a custom crush facility. Okay. And I went down there, worked with like 1,100 tons of Pinot Noir. You know, I think we had like 256 different ferments of Pinot Noir during peak season. It was really nice and busy. And everyone else, there was, there was six of us interns that were hired on for, for harvest. And um, everyone else kind of had their one job that they did. And because I was... Uh, recommended by the winemaker's best friend he he's like what do you want to learn while you're here and I said everything so I, I got to do everything which was a was a huge huge bonus for me uh, sometimes when you do harvest overseas you do get stuck on one job just watching a three-inch muscle line or whatever it is but I got to process whites and process reds and do firm rounds and, and absolutely everything that you could ever want from a harvest overseas came back to Tantalus uh, for 2014 I wanted to build off of what I learned in 2013 and actually see myself understand everything in 2014. So it kind of happens really fast as you're going through harvest and I had my head wrapped around what we did the year before and it was kind of 2014 was the year to lock it in and uh, right before harvest started there was a position that came up to manage a vineyard in East Kelowna. Uh, it was a 13 acre vineyard. I had never worked a day in a vineyard in my life, never grown a grape, never drove a tractor, never pruned a vine. I picked a couple grapes for, for, for stale wine and for ice wine prior to that, but completely green in the, in the realm of viticulture. But uh, I applied for the job and, and met with the Kitsch family. And in my interview, I told them I had no idea what I was doing. I wanted to learn how to grow grapes and if they could trust me that I wasn't going to, you know, it up that um, that they would uh, I, I would do it for them and so two weeks later we were just getting ready for harvest at Tantalus and I got a call saying I got the job and I kind of said oh shit and I got myself uh, registered back in school for a part-time viticulture program that started in January of, of 15 you know I started with the Kitsch family after the 2014 harvest December 5th it's, 1,369 days ago. I just did the math on that the other day, so now it's easy to add up. I was brought in just to grow grapes. We weren't even gonna sell, uh, we were just, we weren't even gonna make wine. We were just gonna sell the grapes to a bigger winery. And I was like, you built a proper like chateau. This is, there's nothing like this in BC. So I, I proposed that we make make wine instead of sell grapes. And they're like, we'll write us a business plan and we'll, we'll have a look at it and see where it goes. And I hacked together a business plan, and um, it just it uh, it was approved. And they're like, "But where are we going to make it?" And I was like, "Well, the garage, three bay garage of this fifteen thousand square foot castle you've just built is empty, and you know nobody's using it right now. So let's do it in there." And they said, "Okay, let's do it in there." And then you know, twenty fifteen, uh, small harvest off the vineyard, made about a thousand cases of 
aromatic whites, Riesling, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, and then Pinot Noir. And then from there we're growing. I'm still still in the garage four years later, but uh, I'm going to pump close to 5,000 cases out of a 1,200-square-foot space, which is pretty unheard of. But, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a ride to get here for sure. It's funny because you'd, you'd think that that space is bigger, but in order to make wine, you really need you really do need more space than that. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a decent sized space, I guess, but you're, you're obviously a little cramped at times. Yeah. It's like, I mean, for these next couple months, I'll be pretty full on in there. The shard, once the shards finished, uh, fermenting and once Pinot's all, all out of tank pressed off and into barrel, then I just, I move my barrels into a temperature and humidity controlled space. And then, um, and then so those those go away until August or whenever I, I decide to pull them out of barrel and, and bottle them down and um, aromatic whites get bottled out of the garage. We've got a mobile bottling truck that comes by and we do those in, in January. And bottling lines are expensive, right? You're looking at, you know, just even for a basic one, you're a few, you know, 20, 20 ish thousand dollars. But then it's, you know, rather than getting all your wines bottled in a day or two or three, you're probably spending a week or two or three with the labor involved and everything. So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for these wineries of our size to have a bottling line or to be pumping that much labor into bottling. So they, they definitely, they make life easier for, for smaller wineries. Well, for sure. and, and then again, the space to have a whole assembly line for bottling and stuff, right? You know, if you weren't doing it by hand, which again, like you said, is the labor, or if you were doing a, if you actually had the machine, then the space for that, uh, and then labels as well. I, I guess you you guys would do the labels, right? Well, yeah, like the bottling truck does everything. You just put empty glass on the one side, and it comes out labeled into into your cases. And and we uh, I built a, a little slide ramp down down into the basement for ease of getting the wines down into the basement. But uh, now we're sitting. You know, we've got a couple thousand cases downstairs, and you got to bring them up one by one now. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is great like you get a workout but uh um it's kind of like short term at this point in time like the family when we started it didn't necessarily know how it was going to go like i i was really green they took a huge chance on me to 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 bring me in and, and to have me make wines for them considering i had you know but i started in the industry at 29 i thought by the time i was 35 i'd be assistant and by the time i was 40 i'd be a winemaker and no it's not the way it went i, I started at 29 and at 32 i was making our, our first vintages of wines by myself so um the the learning curve was was right at 90 degrees it was straight uphill and i've just uh i've had a really good network of people around me um if i've ever had any questions or if i you know i i trust i trust my palate i think a lot like a lot of winemakers come from uh biology and chemistry backgrounds or biochem backgrounds even and those i find those people tend to make wines uh, whereas me, you know, I used to be uh, a jazz musicianist and, you know, didn't uh, necessarily come from a science background. I came from more of an art side of, back, of the background, working in, in restaurants, food and wine pairings and that sort of thing. So I, I tasted a lot and, and I just trusted my palate. I think when it, when it comes to making wine, I, I, I smell everything, I taste everything. And that's, you know, like what I'm doing right now in the vineyard, I'm not even writing chemistry on the grapes anymore. I'm just tasting them and whatever tastes like it's ready to be 
picked is what's getting picked. And then, you know, once it's all in, then I run chemistry on it and see where it's at. But I can adjust things like sugar and acid through winemaking, but I can't, I don't have a big bag of Pinot Noir flavor kicking in the corner or anything like that. So flavor is king. It's no, it's the number one thing that I focus on this time of year. I don't, I don't do anything. I, um, like I know, like it's kind of been beat to death, like minimal intervention and that sort of thing. But, um, wine wines made in the vineyard there's no doubt about it you grow good grapes making good wine is pretty pretty easy but uh you know with without without a solid um harvest of fruit coming out of the vineyard uh then you you know you make it really difficult on yourself once you get it into the winery but i just i tell my vines i love them every day like i, I live on the vineyard um and just like it's right there right now it's kind of cool actually Nice. Yeah, it's pretty special up there. But yeah, I just I, I I was given an opportunity that nobody else would have given me, and that nobody with my resume would have ever been given anywhere else in the world. I think I benefit from being in BC and in the Okanagan, where we are in our infancy, and there aren't a lot of like overly qualified people to be doing the winemaking jobs here. So uh, they took a chance on me and. I've always, in my entire life, I've always known that I'd be given an opportunity to do something special, and it was up to me to see what I did with it. And and this was this was my opportunity to push myself, you know, harder and, and further than I've ever pushed myself before, and uh, and confidently go about it with without any pedigree whatsoever. But uh, just knowing that if I kept a positive mindset and if I if I just put my all into it, that I was gonna, I was gonna be able to, you know, get it out on the back end in terms of, um, I don't know, accolades and uh, respect from industry peers and that sort of thing. It's, it's been a, it's been a very, very cool uh, almost four years. I, I, uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity and, and to, to be sitting here. Like our, our tasting room closes today. I'm gonna go work in the tasting room today and. Um, you know, I'm pretty much sold out of almost everything. So dipping into some library stock on a couple of the lines that we're pouring today, but that's okay. The industry is, it's, it's really small. It's in its infancy. Everyone's really supportive of each other. Like, you know, the, the reason I got into winemaking in the first place are, are wineries like Tantalus and Le Vupin, Quailsgate and, um, you know, the, the people that are, you know, paying tribute to the land, like Meyer Family Vineyards and, you know, more recently, like Synchromesh and Bella and those guys, I find that they're, they're making really like authentic um, wines that are representations of themselves. And I think that in wines, you do, you taste winemakers' personalities in wines. Um, you know, like Severine Pent down at the Bee Pen, she's a very serious person and she makes very serious wines. Whereas, whereas me, I, I can be serious when I need to be, but I'm I'm enjoying the shit out of every single aspect of this. Like I love the vineyard, I love the winemaking, I love the hustle of sales, um, and and I I have the ability to do it all here, which is really special. I I get to you know manage the vineyard uh, and drive the tractor and. Um, make all the winemaking decisions uh, and stylistically make wines that that I want to make and I don't have you know uh, this 
this model that I have to fit myself into and this the styles of wines that I have to make. I get to take what Mother Nature gives me in a year and then um, make the make the wines that she wants me to make uh, and just and just kind of guide them to the finish line. But then I get to sell them and, and market them and promote them like through social media and through um, through you know uh, sales in Vancouver and Victoria and everywhere else. We're going to leave it there for today. We will pick up the conversation in the next episode as our conversation shifts to terroir, talking about Appalachians, geographical indicators, as they call it in the Okanagan, and sub-GIs. And we also talk about natural wines quite a bit as well. Stay tuned for that. We will see you in the next episode. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me.